I, I, I personally think there needs to be a fair use type of precedent where samples are concerned, particularly um, before a certain era, because otherwise all of my heroes become criminalized. You mm. know what I mean? Like from DJ Premier to Large Professor to Pete Rock to Marley Marl, I mean, you name it, it was a different era. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can apply the hyper greed, hyper capitalist kind of mentality that we're living in now to three decades ago. Right. Hi, I'm Elia Einhorn. Welcome to the Talkhouse Music Podcast. Here at the Talkhouse, we pair notable musicians for intelligent, unmoderated conversation and release a new talk each week. Regular listeners will have caught episodes like Thundercat and Kamasi Washington in conversation during Pitchfork Music Festival, or Questlove chatting with Slater Kinney and Portlandia's Carrie Brownstein. Check out these and all our past episodes, and subscribe to get new ones on Stitcher or iTunes. This week's talk pairs two generations of game-changing producers who have a serious mutual respect society going. Michael Volpe, better known as Clams Casino, and Josh Davis, aka DJ Shadow. While Clams Casino is still in elementary school, DJ Shadow is already on his way to entering the canon of legendary turntablists. Shadow's hugely innovative 1996 debut LP, Introducing, is a seminal instrumental hip-hop record comprised almost entirely of obscure samples. Forever refusing to rest on his laurels, he's continuously absorbed new sounds and explored new sonic directions over the past two decades. DJ Shadow's fifth studio album, The Mountain Will Fall, dropped this summer. The record sees the legendary master of sampling using lots of his own original sounds this time around, and features a rad cameo from Run the Jewels. Shadow has also been slowly releasing tracks from the forthcoming 20th anniversary remake of Introducing, for which he's commissioned his favorite producers to reimagine the record. One of the artists who remixed a track for it is Clams Casino, a young producer who's truly a product of the internet age. Clams met his biggest collaborators online and creates many of his best sounds via sampling apps on his phone. He rose to renown through his work with MCs Lil B, ASAP Rocky, and Vince Staples. His debut studio album, 32 Levels, released this summer, features all of those artists and more. Clams' tracks are instantly recognizable and were acknowledged as a big influence on Shadow's newest work. The two producers recently caught up in New York City to discuss their new records, Shadow's introducing remake, the ways that recording and sampling have changed over the years, and how it's sometimes worth giving a great MC a beat you were saving for your own record. Check it out. The funny thing is we don't really know each other. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, we know each other as peers. Yeah. And and I've been a fan. I mean, just to cut right into it, I mean, my my boy in Chicago who like is savagely honest about his taste in music <laughs> and like hates 99.9% .9 of everything when the ASAP mixtape dropped, he was he was like this shit is a revelation. This is changing everything for me. Wow. You know what I mean? And this is somebody that like, you know, he grew up making rap beats and stuff, but like at a certain point he was just as likely to be listening to like, 
Indian music from the 30s or mm. something, you know what huh. I mean? He, he just went way out with it. And for him to be that excited about something, I was like, well, you know, so we were driving around Chicago and he was playing. I was like, who, who, who does the music? I mean, that was my first thing I said, who did, who did the music? So that was really the first time that I became aware of Clams. Cool. Yeah, the first time. Well, actually, I remember reading before I even knew the music. I had come across an interview of yours. I think it was like <clears throat> around 2008 or something. And I'm just like, I didn't really know the music, but I was reading through some of the stuff and I just had come across it. And one of the things I always remembered talking about was they had asked you something that stuck with me, like drum fills or stuff saying, I don't, I don't know what particular uh, like album or I guess what they were talking about with their, how they were saying like, yeah, just really, really cool how, you know, each time it comes around different, it's not the same drum fill, it's not like a loop or something like that. And I was like, and I, and I would always remember that too. And so that was something that I kept with me. And that, and that was before I even heard the music and just from like reading interviews, like something that I took away from that is like, you know, even a rap beats and stuff and a lot of, a lot of kind of typical stuff would do that, you know, just, just loops and things. And then like, that was just re just from reading that little line, it was like, get me going and thinking of, you know, making things a little more, you know, humanizer or something like that. So that was something I took. And then, so actually my, my uh, father had bought me introducing CD and he was like, because he's funny, like he, he like follows me, all the stuff on my, you know, stuff online and everything. So he'll be keeping up with that stuff online. And then just from like doing, you know, research and stuff and just looking at everything else, you'd be like, oh, I found this. You got to check this out. This guy, this guy's like real, you know, legend. You got to check. So he bought me a CD. So that was the first time I actually took in all the music. But I, like I said, it was like a long time ago that I, you know, I just had had done that, but never checked it out. And uh, yeah, so we really don't know, you know, each other too well. We just like we, you know. Although I should say that I asked Clams to to tour with me in two thousand. Oh yeah. Twelve. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, "Nah, yeah, not, not doing it." Yeah. And I, <laughs> and that and that's yeah, and I still feel that way about touring pretty much. So I do, <laughs> I do like probably two, maybe three shows a year at the most, but. I try to get try to do a little more, you know, as the years go on, maybe three, four a year. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, no, yeah, that that was uh that was really cool too. I appreciate that. But yeah, definitely not ready at that time. <laughs> I hear you. I mean <laughs> looking back on my first tour, the first nationwide tour I did of this country, like I remember one show I just went up there press play on my MPC, it didn't work and I just sort of shrugged and walked <laughs> off the stage. That was it. I probably should have, yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, but it was a different era. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, when was that around? 90s, well, actually, I mean, I was already touring Europe for like years, uh -huh. um, starting in 93. Wow. And, but in 97 was my first nationwide tour of the States with J. Rue the Damager. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. It was fun, man. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of interesting stories from that tour. <laughs> I think it was eye-opening for both of us. I mean, I don't think he was used to what I was bringing to the table. I don't think he fully understood it at first, but he, res mm -hmm. he, re he respected it by the end. And I was already a huge fan and, and um, knew all his records like front, back, and center. So I think it was also interesting for him to see that me with the type of music I was making, how could I be that level of a fan, but also be outputting something that to him sounded sonically so different. Mm -hmm. 
But so you got to get out there, man. You got to do those shows. So, so I, I kind of know the general, you know, story, but tell me about, you know, tell me about the beginning. Tell me about, um, like the first time somebody, you know, agreed to use one of your beats and, and was it Lil B? Was he the beginning or were um, the people before? He wasn't the beginning yet. Not the very, very first one, but right after he was one of the, one of the first ones. Yeah. It was like, so I first really got, um serious about trying to trying to get it my music out there online uh like probably right at the end of like fall 2007 so i started you know sending stuff on myspace so my buddy was helping me and um so the first dude that i had heard of before uh was uh shot stimuli who's a rapper from brooklyn and and i had heard his stuff on the radio like he you know they're playing he had a song out like 2004 on the radio like hot 97 uh New York uh, radio station was playing it, and I, and I liked it back then. So like he was one of the first dudes that like oh I had actually heard of before on the radio, and like fa- had listened to his music for a while, and then like rapped on it. So that was one that was like the first one ever, and then that's what kind of kept me like all right, let me just keep going. And then Lil B was you know I had been a fan of Lil B and the pack for for a while before that, and then so I was just you know he's just one of the ones that responded to me online and. And um, so that was maybe like a year after that, like the end or uh, fall of 2008 was when we started working just, you know, off MySpace and uh, just sending stuff over line, um, online. But we hadn't actually met. So we had done a bunch of shows starting maybe like 2013 or like maybe four shows, but we hadn't actually even met at those shows. Like we would just see each other in the hallway, maybe real fast and say, oh. what's up? But we had never met until last summer, like July last summer, when we got in the studio for the first time together and like sat down and met. And it was like a really weird feeling like we hadn't been working for, you know, since since 2008 online, but we, yeah, we didn't really talk or sit down or talk till about almost a year ago. Was that for the tracks for this album? Yeah. Okay. So he had come out to LA for a few days in the studio. And yeah, that's that's like, we kind of just sat down and caught up first. It was just like, you know, so it's a pretty funny feeling. But <laughs> yeah, even at, so even at the shows, you know, they're just like not, not real meetings, you know. It's kind of indicative of like the way things are done nowadays, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there were people, I was playing in DJ sets that were on German labels, like digital labels, and I just assumed they were from Germany. And then it comes to to turn out that they're from like 20 miles from me. Yeah. And I just discover their music organically and like I'm I'm just like, well, I don't really care where they're from. This is this is the music I'm into. And then time after time it ended up being like basically local artists that I was discovering in that manner. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah, that's that's crazy how that works. I never ran from them, but from the city where the skinny kept strong heat north side long beach north side long beach hit the counter make a dollar flip it split the dollars with my mama children folks need portions hoes need abortions one of my favorite tracks of the last year was north north mm. how did that was that kicking around as a demo as an instrumental because i know you sent me the instrumental and it had a different title right so yeah actually so that story was i had made that beat for my album and I was trying to get, I had sent that to a few people. I was trying to get some of the Bay Area dudes on it. You know, that sounded like I, I had just made it. And uh, it was sitting around for not too long, but um, I was, yeah, I was definitely trying to get 
Sage the Gemini and like I am Sue and dudes like that. And I, you know, I wasn't hearing anything back. And uh, so that came about was like, yeah, so we were working on the Vince song on my album. Uh, Vince, I had sent it, I had sent him that beat, the one that went on my album, and he wrote to it on his own. We met up and recorded it together. And that was at the time when he was finishing his. And it was like, you know, he was like, I need some more stuff to finish up my album. So <laughs> um, that came, yeah, so North North came out of the process of working on mine. And um, he was just like, I need some more stuff. I'm almost done with mine. So I, I gave him, I think <clears throat> I left the studio with, I left him with about four beats and he used like three of those four for the album. But yeah, so that, that beat was definitely for mine. I didn't want to give it up because I wanted that, <laughs> I wanted to use that on mine. But, um, you know, and I think that was kind of, North North was kind of probably based off of the same vibe as the one that's on mine because he probably wanted something like that, you know, same kind of feeling. So that process it kind of happened a lot where it's like making something that I really want but I kind of have to give it up you know yeah. so during the making of, of this album uh, that's definitely happened like giving stuff up like that but in the in the record collecting world they call that dealer versus collector <laughs> it's like wait a minute yeah I really want to keep this but if I sell it yeah it's it's yeah. it's a tough call yeah it's and you know and I want to I mean, overall, it comes down to you want to make the best music and you want it to get out. And it's not like, you know, it's not going to do any good if I hold the beat for my album and nobody else is going to do it, use it as well or something. So it's like, you know, you got to do you got to do whatever, whatever works the best. So, I mean, I'm really happy with how it came out and I'm, you know, glad to be a part of his, his album and stuff, too. So, um, no, I mean, this is the thing, though, is like, obviously, already being a fan of yours and then I'm just driving, and I hear that on the radio. Man, that beat is next level, you know, because you just don't hear beats that sound like that. Mm-hmm. Is it a sample, or what is it? What is that main sound that goes through it? It's um, it's actually a Juno. Uh, no, it's not sampled. I mean, well, it's sampled from playing it, playing stuff, and then kind of flipping my own sample. But, yeah, it's a Juno keyboard um, run through a few pedals, like... Uh, probably a big reverb pedal, like the Holy Grail reverb or something like that. And then also um, some kind of like distortion or something. So I recorded that sample at uh, the Ship Studio in LA where where I did a lot of work on my album. Uh, I'll just run around there. They have so many like keyboards and pedals and just like hundreds of little things like toys and stuff. So yeah, I'll just run around, you know, every keyboard there, every pedal there and just connect them all, you know, and just play for like, 20 minutes at a time, half hour at a time, just recording stuff and just freestyling. And then not really making beats on the spot as I'm doing that. I would like collect that all. And then, totally. so I made that beat at home, but just from all the the sources that I record at the studio in LA. Yep. So that's how it came out. And actually it was really fast, which is funny is like, usually I don't finish beats for like, you know, it'll take like weeks. I'll come back to them and take things from old ideas and, and pile them all up. And so like, I won't finish a beat. That one really was like kind of maybe 15 minutes or something. And, and I was like happy with it. Uh, you <laughs> know, so crazy. like that, that was a really, you know, rare instance of like kind of sitting down, making it and then be like, all right, it's done. I mean, that has, I don't think that might've been the first time that I've ever done like that, but. It's usually a good sign. Yeah. I mean, sometimes when they come quick, obviously you have to be skeptical of it and careful yeah, with yeah. it, but it's always a good sign. 
Yeah, it's definitely like think you know easy to overthink stuff too, or start add you know just keep adding stuff. So like trying to trying to learn how to like stop it. Like no, no, it's, it's good to go. Is is like a something that I've been trying to teach myself too. But that's one of my favorite things that um, that I have done recently. And now yeah, just because like you said, it, it doesn't really sound like anything that I've heard. You know, no, it's, and especially for people to rap on it. And but it's he, hyphy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the, to me, the tra- and I obviously mean that in the best sense of the word and being from the Bay Area. And um, the one on your album is, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got that kind of hyphy energy to it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting to hear you say that you were trying to get Bay rappers on it. I'm surprised nobody... Yeah, for, I, I had sent it to at least probably three three people. I mean, not used to that, though. Usually, like, I'll send stuff out to... I don't even know how many people before something gets done with it. So I'm used to just like not hearing any responses really? and stuff. Yeah. Just, you I'm know, surprised. I'm surprised by now. Yeah. It's, it still happens the same way. I think it's, uh, maybe it's because they're just, they're not really typical or, you know, people don't really know right away what to do with them. They kind of have to think a little bit more than just like, a, you know, here's, a, here's another beat. So I think a lot of people, they would like to, but maybe they just don't really know how to fit themselves around it. And Damn. Uh, so that's why when I find people that know how to do it, I, I stick yeah. with it. Like Rocky, Vince, Vince really knows how to, how to use them. Rocky, obviously. And there's a small group of people that like really can just do it naturally that work with mine. So once I find them, I'm like, so tell me about Be Somebody. I made the beat, brought it, went to Rocky's house, told him this is this is for my album. You know, if you want to get on it, you can get on it, but this is for mine. Then he was like, yeah, all right, I'll do it, I'll do it. Then he wanted to take, he did, wrote a little thing to it, then it was supposed to go on his album. And I was like, all right, that was one I really didn't want to give up, <clears throat> but I was willing to. And then he didn't end up using it on his, so I was like, great, I got it back now, so... That was that was a lot of back and forth on it, but um, it, it took a while to finish. He was he was writing, did you know? It was really kind of a short song, and then it was like a, a verse, you know, a verse and a half of his. And I was just like, I was kind of thinking of it as like a kind of a second part of an intro or something. So I was like, I, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna not use it because it's not really a long song or something. So there was no hook or anything, but I was like, you know, it's it's still like really cool. And then so just to just to kind of finish it up and like would have make it make it more complete. So I was trying to think of other people to get on it. So I, you know, reached out to B and he was like really excited. And I was like, they haven't somehow have never worked before, those two guys. And like, and there's no better place for them to do that than my album. So that that just kind of fell together and made perfect sense to me. So, one of the anecdotes I thought I would bring up is obviously you did the remix. Um, this year is the 20th anniversary of introducing. Mm-hmm. So, curating this remix album, I wanted to, you know, provide a, another layer of perspective on the record and invite you know my current favorites and a few favorites from other eras to do remix remixes 
so Clams turned in his remix, and I listened to it, and I loved it, but I was like, in the back of my mind, I got really worried because I was thinking, shit, did he send a demo of like somebody else's track? I hope this is mine, because I couldn't recognize any of the elements in mine, even though there were so many things about it that seemed familiar, mm. you know what I mean? And I'm like, that, that voice seems familiar in the, the little... <laughs> The little um, the, the instrumentation. There's something familiar about it. So, and then I I wrote to Clams. I'm like, I, it's really dope. But did you use any of this yeah. <laughs> things that I sent? And he was like, uh oh. Well, yeah. But should I should I have made them more recognizable? And then as soon as I read that, I was like, okay, I, I need to listen to this again. And then it was just really obvious mm-hmm. once you know that. But I didn't want to assume because I was worried. I didn't want to become too attached to it because I was like, if this is just sort of a clerical mistake, <laughs> and you know, but it's it's one I without going <laughs> into further details, one of my three favorites on the wow. on the remix. It's and actually the the mastering engineer was like he he singled it out. He's like that stem remix. He's like sometimes these moments make my job all worthwhile. Oh wow, you know what I mean? So it's definitely like. It's just ridiculous. And and to me, it shows, I mean, I always feel like sometimes if you if you make beats for MCs, you have to leave that space for them to do their thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people assume that you can't pull off a full fledged and I don't mean you specifically, mm-hmm. but any yeah. any instrumentalist can pull off a full fledged arrangement. But to me the stem remix that Clams did is evidence of all the thought that's that's going on there because the arrangement is unbelievably well thought out. It's it's sick. Yeah, I mean I'm you know really uh honored to be, you know, to be a part of that. Thanks for reaching out about that and uh and and so the uh, when he first said, "Pick anyone you want," and I was like, "All right, I'm gonna get on this now because I want to make sure I get the one that I want." So I did it right away, and I listened through, and that was like easily the first. Like I don't even know if I listened to anything after that. Once I got, you know, thinking about with the remix in mind, that like listened just from front to back or front up until that point, and then you know, once I realized like that is the one that sound like something that I would just pick out and sample otherwise, you know, so that I knew, immediately knew just the, the mood of the original track and stuff. And and also that there's so many different parts to use and so many like ups and downs of being, a you know, a long song like that. Like there's so many tools that I can yeah. use. So like, and I and I was able to do that, thankfully. But uh, yeah, it was funny. I, when I, right when I made it, I was like happy that I thought that I would, it's pretty recognizable from the stuff. And then, but sometimes I get caught up in like, don't realize maybe how much you've been kind of doing stuff. You just kind of black out and like, oh, wow, it's just maybe like going crazy, like uh, flipping it and stuff. But once well, you, like you said, once you know, if you kind of point yeah. out the stuff and then it all makes sense. But, well, I, I again, I, I just didn't want to, I didn't <laughs> yeah. want to like, cash the check before I knew it was written to me. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the other thing is that you beca- you be- kind of become conditioned when you get remixes solicited that, you know, I-, I think a lot of people don't feel that they have the artistic license to take it to that degree mm-hmm. and to-, to basically reinvent it as a completely different type of thought. Right, right. You know, usually people keep the main riff recognizable, they maybe will just change the beat or update the beat to make it, you know, more contemporary or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and for the most part, 
with a couple of exceptions, that's that's what ended up happening on the remix album. So when I got yours, I, I you know again, it's 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 just flipped to just a lovely degree. So your album, I was I was wondering about some of the sounds, like the just the process of that. Like I, I don't know if I read it on I don't know if I read it on your Twitter or something, but I feel like I heard a couple months ago that is less I mean it's more of you recording sounds and stuff and less samples or Yeah, kind of. I mean actually um you mentioned like recording synths and just like mm. trying to take it someplace and then that becomes your sample base. Yep. And actually one of the first things I did for this album was I'm fortunate to live pretty close to this guy Jack Dangers, um, who was a pioneering um I mean he was working with samples in the late eighties to make dance music as a group called Meat Beat Manifesto. And he, at various times over the last couple of decades, has secured uh, some of the rarest synths in the world. I mean, wow. he, they had to knock a wall down in his house to bring in this synth that he bought from a university in Australia. <laughs> and it's one of, I think, only four. Uh-huh. And it takes up most of a wall. It's modular, and you feel like you need to wear a lab coat when yeah. you operate <laughs> it because it's got all these... Um, oscilloscopes on it and and stuff like that and it's really powerful um, and it's very easy to make pretty interesting sounds on it Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah I just booked a few sessions at his place and he would pull down a Korg and be like look here's how they did you know R2-D2 and he'll do it exactly and (laughs) then he'll tell me that you know that synth came out a year before Star Wars so I mean they were using brand new technology then to do all this stuff and um, so yeah I mean I I, that was one of my sample sources but I mean and then you also mentioned you know just being online and seeing a list of all the samples and Mm -hmm. from some of my other stuff and I mean it's it's a little bit of a tight squeeze to be in creatively because I, I want to continue to make music that's sample-based, but um, we're living in this strange dichotomy where music has technically never been worth less, and yet um, where samples are concerned, people have never wanted more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? so, um, so it's a fine line to walk, and, and I think um, with every record that I do, I'm trying to liberate myself a little bit while not, I mean, if I find a sample while I'm listening through records or whatever that's undeniable, I'm still going to try to flip it yeah. and try to clear it. But I mean, there were songs I had to leave off this record for various reasons, and mm-hmm. including sample clearance. And again, I mean, sadly, you know, I, I, I personally think there needs to be a fair use type of precedent where samples are concerned, particularly... Um, before a certain era, because otherwise all of my heroes become criminalized. You mm. know what I mean? Like from DJ Premier to Large Professor to Pete Rock to Marley Marl. I mean, you name it. It was a different era, mm-hmm. and I don't think you can apply the hyper greed, hyper capitalist 
kind of mentality that we're living in now to three decades ago. Right. And or or for that matter, two decades ago when I made introducing, it just was a different era. Um, so that's my two cents on that. Mm. Yeah, I, f- I feel the same way about. I mean, that's kind of in you know the the past five years or so for me, that has been a big part of you know forcing me to kind of find another way to go about stuff. And I <clears throat> and it took me a while to get into it. Like it took me probably at least two years or even three years to get fully comfortable with like making, recording something on my own that sounds like I found it or something, you know? And and at first when I was like, well, I really can't sample anymore because it's probably will never come out the way I want it to. And I can put out for, you know, online for free or something, but it's, you know, if I want to do anything else, like it's, it's too restricting. So I was like, what am I going to do? And so for a few years, I was really just like trying to get better at that and just trial and error, like, how do I do it? And now I feel throughout that process, you know, five years later or a few years later that I can like, you know, pick something up, run it through a few things. And then uh, now it sounds like a, a sample source, you know, so I'm, I'm much more comfortable with it now and I can do it faster. And, and it's been a big help, but it took a long time for me to, to figure that out. And just and, and what do you use to make beats on? Well, the main thing that, I mean, this hasn't changed the main like software that I use is Acid Pro. And that is one of the first softwares that that I use and, and just stayed with that. Um, but like when I first started with that, it would just be all found stuff that I would search online, find stuff, and then everything's just in the computer. And now I'll, I have a little interface, like a, a Kai interface that I, that I use with um, Acid Pro. So I'll record, you know, anything, keyboards into their vocal stuff or, or anything and so it's a lot more recording now, you know, then, and it's the same process though. I'll, I'll, instead of finding the samples, I'll just record them and then flip them the same way that I would. Like, I think I only had to clear one sample for the album, which is the intro, which is like taken from um, like a Polynesian, like meditation CD or something like that vocal sample. Like when I heard it, you know, I was just like, I bought, had bought the CD and um, once I heard that, I was like, I have to, you know, have to use it. I have to figure out how to clear it. Cause you know, I just wouldn't be able to kind of create something like that on my own. So, um, but I think that was the only one I had to like properly clear. That's, I, I think if I wanted to entirely stop sampling, I would have to just entirely stop listening to a whole, <laughs> yeah. you know, vast swath of music. Right. And I just, I'm not sure if I can do it. Yeah. I mean, because that's what it is. I mean, whether you're listening to a, a, a CD or a, you know, an eight track or whatever, an MP3, sometimes you just hear things and you just think, am I the only one? that hears this, you know what I mean? Like, it it would just be so sick to flip this. Some of the guys um, on your album, how do you you have long relationships with the guys like some the the vocalists and rappers on your album, or some of them for work for the first time? Or I mean, just to take a couple examples, I mean, there's really not that many features on the record, but the ones that are on there are, you know, by design, I guess you would say. I mean, the nobody the nobody speak track with Run the Jewels that was. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I definitely went into the record as I usually do with, you know, I want to be progressive. I want to be future thinking and, and look to the future and be progressive. And But um, that track is just so kind of, there's an aspect of it which is very definitely kind of a classic boom bap. Yeah. New York rap kind of feel. But at the same time, I didn't want to use somebody from the past or, you know, I, I, I wanted to use somebody maybe that understood the roots of the music, but is also doing important mm-hmm. contemporary work. And so to me, it was Run the Jewels of No One yeah. on that track. Mm-hmm. And I've known now off and on for a long time, but obviously been a fan for 20 years. And uh, I felt lucky to be able to get them because they were, you know, still having a moment, but at the time that I was able to get them in the studio, it was like Mike on CNN every other minute. Yeah. And, you know, um, they had just done Jimmy Kimmel the night before. So wow. it was, uh, I was glad to get it. I mean, I as long as I've known L, you know, sometimes it's just when that train is rolling, there's no getting off. And mm-hmm. uh, I didn't take it for granted. I definitely... Um, you know, I, I didn't count my chickens before it was on tape, put it that way. <laughs> right, right. Did you do, so did you do most of recording and stuff um, or making beats like at at home or you have a studio? Like the, I do almost house? everything at home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, back in the day, you could maybe break off, you know, a percentage of your advance or whatever and put in that work in a big studio, you know, mainly to make the label happy so that they feel like the money's being well spent. But in this era, you can't justify that, really. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you can. I mean, we. It made sense to book studio time for that purpose, and and sometimes in the mix stage, the money can be you know worth it. But mm-hmm. um, I like to make beats at home. I like to be in my own element, and I don't feel like I can sometimes get all the way in the creative flow when you're dealing with like engineers and other people. It's just you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean. I guess what's different about this record compared to last ones for me is uh, I'm using Ableton Live to make to make the beats now. And okay. I had been using it for live purpose, you know, literally show purposes before, but um, I feel like it's important to switch it up sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely, I mean, on the last record, I tried using Machine for a while, and for whatever reason, I just it didn't speak to the way my mind works. Machine, yeah. You know, it really wasn't until Ableton. I mean, Ableton just it's it. There's an elegance to it in the way that my mind works, um, and it not only does it make sense to me, but it's it's shaved a bunch of time off my beat making. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, really important in a good too. Way, yeah, yeah. I tried to switch up doing some stuff, and and after like maybe two weeks or something, I was like. It was just the time thing, like you said, I was just, I couldn't get, I was like, if I, if I do this in my other program, I can do it in a second. And I was like, if I, I know what I want to do here, but it's going to take me so much longer. I, I just I always end up going back to, to what I, to the, what I use. But like you said, it's important to also evolve that. So, so I try to bring new elements into that. Like yeah. I said, with the recording stuff and, and, uh, cause I know I don't want to get stuck doing the same thing. So I do try to bring new, new ways. And to do that, I use new things. Like I use my my iPhone or iPad a lot and put a, I have a little mic that I that I put into there and I use a lot of apps and stuff on on my um those devices and record into um my acid so uh 
There's a lot of really cool sampling. Damn, see, I that's <clears throat> that's something that's a whole new frontier for me. Yeah, I gotta. I'm gonna put you up on a few of those that you <laughs> that you're gonna you'll really love. But there's so many out there. But the ones that I use probably like two or three um, apps that I that I use for like almost everything now. So, other than just recording something though, like is it processing stuff? Is it like a like a an effects processor, or is it doing something to the sound and then you export it into um, Acid or from the from the phone stuff? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's like, um, a few of them that I have are like sampling ones where you just will record right into it. Um, you can use the, the mic that comes on them, but it's not that good. Um, you know, you can, I have a little mic that is better quality, but it's just like sampling on here. Like you can use this mic and then, you know, just playing it like yeah. that. So... <laughs> Yeah, so it was really fast and I carried it around and just, you know what I mean? Uh, and some of them are just like little drum machine ones that are, you know, not not doing too much crazy stuff, but just like sounds and and things for I, that I can play on because it, one of the things that I just got tired of was doing everything on a mouse and keyboard and stuff. And that's why I kind of wanted to switch to like NPC because I just wanted something to play and feel like I was doing, you know, just something more musical or fun. So that's why I started looking at stuff like that and I found little drum machine ones where... I can just jam on like I'm playing the drums on it and then record it all and then chop it up, you know. Wow. And they have, you know, there's like crazy stuff like MIDI stuff now that I don't get into all that because I just with well with my program I just use audio stuff because I don't know if it's I don't know if it's really good for uh MIDI stuff. I maybe I just never learned how to use it right, but uh there's like crazy, you know, there's so many like iPhone apps and stuff that is like they actually can do MIDI stuff and everything like that but yeah I just use it for the audio and, oh, and okay. then record the audio into my, the interface and, and then chop it just like I would the other stuff but well cool man well hey it's good to to finally chop it up because yep. I mean bumped into you on New Year's at that show yeah. but you know it's it's a gig and there's a lot going on and a lot of people around but yeah man just uh, whew, thank you for the inspiration yeah, same here. Thank you. And uh, we have a lot a lot coming out for everybody to look forward to. A lot of music. And uh, yeah, thanks for hanging out. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. Hi, I'm Elia Einhorn, and you've been listening to DJ Shadow and Clams Casino on the TalkHouse Music Podcast. Subscribe to TalkHouse Music and TalkHouse Film Podcasts on Stitcher or iTunes. Upcoming episodes include RZA in conversation with Interpol's Paul Banks and Proto-Martyrs Joe Casey chatting with Parquet Court's Andrew Savage. This episode was mixed by Mark Yoshizumi and premiered on Pitchfork Radio. Till next time. No home. God's no home.